Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. I'm your host, Norm. I'm Ryan. And I'm Ian. And on this episode, of course, we're going to do playing, thinking, doing board games. And it's the designer series. And Ryan, please tell us who we have as our guest. <laughs> so, yes, we have Corey Kanetska on Cardboard Conjecture, and I'm freaking out. Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street in Saskatoon. They're the winner of the Joe Schuster Award for Best Comic Book Store in Canada, and they were also nominated in 2016 for the U.S. Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award, presented at Comic-Con. Amazing Stories' amazing collection of comic books, board games, puzzles, and collectibles can be found in their store or on their new online website. And welcome back. This is Cardboard Conjecture. Let's get straight into uh, thinking, doing, playing board games. And uh, uh, sitting in with us is uh, Corey Kaneska. And uh, later on in the episode, we'll be having our interview. But of course, we love to have some banter. So um, uh, Ian, how about you start us off? What have sure. you been doing, thinking, playing? Uh, the other weekend, we had a game night and you know, it was, it's an awkward time of night where it's like, you don't quite want to end it yet, but you got a little bit of time. And so you're thinking, what can we play? And so also I saw just out of the corner of my eye, King of Tokyo, which we hadn't played in quite a, quite a while. And so we broke that one out again. It, it had been a while, like for, for some time there, we were playing that tons, like lots and lots and lots. Yeah. And then it just kind of got put away. Uh, so I broke it out again and it just reminded me just <laughs> how fun this game is <laughs> like it's it's always a blast every time we every time we break it out and it was a it was a good game we had i ended up winning on points which usually doesn't happen with our group usually somebody kills off all the rest um <laughs> there's no diplomacy i actually <laughs> no i actually uh i actually won on points i kind of snuck in there and took it i had some awesome powers and and we played with the power-up expansion which makes every monster you play with just a little bit different because they get extra bonus cards you can add on cool and i think that adds a lot to the game i like we never play without those cards anymore um but yeah how, how when's the last time you guys played king of tokyo because oh it's been ages it's, nice been, it's been way more because it's my copy is in my games club library yeah at the school. So I only ever get to see it played when the students are playing it. Yeah. That's the last I don't time think I, I don't think yeah. I've actually played it myself in longer than that, but you're right. Yeah, it's the power up expansion. I think is one of those ones. It's like, you know what, once you've seen it, once you've played with it, you're like, Oh, I don't think I'll ever play without it. <laughs> Corey, are you a KOT fan? Yeah. Um, well, 
I played it, I remember at Gen Con, it was right around when it first came out. Um, and it was, it was pretty awesome. And I remember we played it a bunch and I don't think I've played it since. So um, I never got to play with the expansion. It sounds really cool though. It should, I want to play it now. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the downside of doing this recording all the time. It's like, okay, get to the phone. Let's get some games Amazon card. Yeah, yeah. There's Amazon card is always open. Yeah, there's a window open all the time when people are talking. Really? It's that good? Okay, let me check it. Um, cool. So, yeah. King of Tokyo. That's breaking out an old classic. A dice chucker. Me love you, the dice chucker. Um, Brian, do you want to do you want to tuck into this one right away? Sure. Wanna... Um, yeah, because what I have been playing uh, quite a bit of lately, and I've been playing it with Rob from the Meeple Dungeon, who is mm-hmm. a contributor to the What You've Been Playing Wednesday podcast, is we've been playing Ashes Reborn, Rise of the Phoenix Born, which is the re-implementation or kind of like an updated version of Ashes Rise of the Phoenix Born. It's a it's touted as it's, it's, it's a card game. It's a one V one combat card game, a la the magic, the gathering, and a lot of these other different style um, card games. And the best thing is that it's not a uh, collectible is what it actually does is you buy packs, but they're all predetermined packs. It's not a living card game um, though. I, if they did have the, the term living card game under the plaid hat, umbrella um they probably would have called it that because it's a um oh i'm just trying to get anyways <laughs> rise of the phoenix born the best thing that what i like about this game though is that it's got very simple actions like on your turn you really do two things you got to take out you have to take a main action and then you also have to do a um you can do a side action and that's it and your main actions are quite simple they're either playing down a card or they're activating a card or and your magic in this case are all dice which is really kind of cool um really took me back to when i uh, when i played star wars destiny i really like the the fact of how star wars destiny used the dice and everything and this kind of reminds me a little bit of that too um quite a bit of a cool. different styled card game um but yeah but rob and i have been playing it um and we actually have are going to be doing a twitch yeah. stream uh, we're doing a best of seven competition and uh yeah <laughs> best of seven i, I just love the fact that the content creation is is half an excuse just to play some of these games <laughs> right and so we have it on the lines that um whoever whoever wins the, the the best of seven um the loser has to buy the other person a gift card to their local game store nice so the local so, game store is going to get something out of it support the locals absolutely I have no, you know what? And here's the thing. I see you guys tweeting about this back and forth and yeah, I my I'm, I'm online checking this like, well, do I really need to pick this up and, you know, get in? Nope, I've got decks galore for you. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll drop off a couple of decks at your house. It's funny <laughs> that you mentioned. Free, really? <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry, Corey. Oh, it's fine. It's funny that you mentioned Star Wars Destiny because um, when we were working on the design of Destiny, Ashes first edition came out. Um, and right. so Lucas Litzinger, he was playing Ashes. He's like, hey, are you aware of this game? It's like, we're working on a card game with dice. This other card game with dice came out and it's not collectible. And he was really into it. So he was, I've heard nothing but good things about it. I haven't played it myself. Um, 
generally when I'm working on a game and someone tells me about a game that's similar to it, like I don't want to hear about it. I'm like, yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Just, yeah uh, let see. us do our thing, yeah. and then uh, I'll look at it afterwards. Um, yeah, but you see, when there's when no pollution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it originally came out, um, I went, I went the Destiny route. Is that I okay. went in, I went all in, and I went all in on Destiny, and never really touched Ashes like at all. And then well, now's the perfect time to get back into it, then, right? <laughs> and the now they come out with this whole thing, and they did it really kind of neat too. Because if you already had like most of the ashes set from before, you could buy what they call just an update pack. Oh, cool. Because what they did is they, I think they like rebalanced or redid like and it was like extraordinary. It was like forty percent of the card pool they like redid, and then they released it as an update pack if you already owned most of the ashes. Um, things which I thought was actually really cool. You don't really see that usually mm-hmm. if they come up with like a 2.0 of a game or like a second version of the game, you usually have to buy like all of it. Yeah, you gotta... but if I already own some of it, I can just update it, which I see, thought was really cool. See, that's my big complaint. Uh, if and I'm gonna show my age for a second there, I think I've bought the Beatles Revolver uh, like versions 14 times, like five cassettes, three CDs. Yeah. So I, I get it. I get it. I love the fact that they allow you to not lose your investment, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So Ashes Reborn. Uh, watch Rob and I butcher the rules <laughs> like we always do every time that we play. How does that work again? Oh, right. 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 It's way more simple than we actually thought it was. If it's Twitch, you should have this graphics button that you could just put disclaimer, disclaimer. Yeah. <laughs> We're not doing Maria. Um, I'm going to uh, just do mine and then we'll let Corey jump in and, and you can you can uh, participate in this because I'm curious to see what you've been playing. Uh, but I have last week uh, Al came over and the caveat to this is both Al and I are history teachers. And uh, so this summer we've had this mandate of every week we pick a, you know, a historical perspective or thematic game and have a go at it for the fact of playing the game and also to see how we can infuse it or bridge it into the, the, the classroom for the students to engage or uh, have it incite conversation. So this uh, week we played Black Orchestra designed by Philip Dubarry and uh, I think this is Game Salute. Um, and it's basically the easiest way to explain it is to explain the, the, the movie version is uh, the movie Valkyrie, um, the, the Tom Cruise movie where uh, German soldiers are trying to um, develop a plot to assassinate Hitler. So that is the, imp- the thematic imprint on this game. And um, without turning this into a, a, a review and, and gush all over the game, uh, it starts you off. It, it basically it's the whole arc of pre-world war ii to the decline or like you know to the end and um th- uh, there's seven stages of card events that you go through as you're working your way through this board to find resources that uh, associate with plots to increase your motivation and to decrease your suspicion there's it is i mean it, we're this idea of hybrid thematic in euro because there is this is dripping with gorgeous research theme and all the event cards that logically make sense as to the movements of hitler and his inner circle and you as the conspirators and i i, I mean this is by far one of my favorite uh, cooperative games uh 
because even as a solo man it's such a challenge right and and i find myself just all tensed up as i'm playing going i just need one more signature before and then i gotta move him or it's like remember to breathe <laughs> don't pass out playing a solo game so yeah i if anybody ever has the opportunity to play this game i say give it a shot because yeah it'll it'll be put it this way if you don't like the thematic it'll be one of those experiences that you'll remember because everybody has a context of this individual in this historical event so um gentlemen have have you guys ever had the chance still haven't oh. <laughs> yeah i've had i've played it once and i do agree it's a pretty pretty cool game you rant and it's... rave about it so many times that i just need to play it <laughs> so like the next time we actually come over like in the morning that should be like mm -hmm. one of the top ones on the pile yeah the uh, and the artwork uh, is is I think it's a perfect balance of graphic information to enough um, artist interpretation to to give you that suspension of disbelief. And I what I appreciate as well is all of the relevant information in regards to those those uh, like working memory rules like oh how many of this or what's the sequence of that all of that is on the board there's never a moment that once we got going there was never a moment that we had to go to the rule book rule book to uh, you know reference uh, you know a, a fringe idea it was all laid out which developed a succinct a routine and heartbeat as you kept going because there was just this crazy momentum so yeah, i'm turning this into a review <laughs> so yeah that was black orchestra um uh, yeah oh I, I i wish everybody could have a chance to play this um cory do you uh, want to talk to us about what you've been playing recently or thinking or doing or sure yeah it's funny I get this question a lot like what, what board games have you been playing <laughs> recently and usually my response is super boring and it's that, well, I've been spending most of my gaming time just play testing the games that I'm working on, um, which is true, usually. But just two weeks ago, I had people over for the first time since COVID, and I got to break out a game that I got for Christmas that I've been wanting to play, and that was uh, Betrayal Legacy, um, which is... I, anybody that's familiar with Betrayal and House of the Hill, it's just a wacky ride, crazy... <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen but the legacy element just kind of like kicks it over the top um and so we uh yeah we dove in we played the first two scenarios i'll admit that i i got a crucial rule wrong in the first scenario uh, which kind of spoiled things a little bit but that's okay we still had that's fun um, <laughs> and i mean with a game like that where basically halfway through each game a whole bunch of new rules get introduced it's it's always kind of this juggling act of like, is everybody playing correctly? Are we, <laughs> I don't even get to see your book yet. Are you doing it right? Um, but it's, it's not a game that's meant to be taken so seriously, right? Yeah. It's not a game that's about action efficiency. It's a game about like, well, let's just <laughs> strap ourselves to this rocket and see where it takes us. <laughs> um, so it was, it was fun and we're going to, keep playing so hopefully we'll get to see the the evolution of um of our characters and their lineage as it goes through the the century cool how many games is it supposed to be 
for the legacy. I think it's 16 games, I want to say. I might be wrong, but it's around that. Um, And each each time you you create your character and you record like your character's fate, and then the next scenario is a certain number of years later. And so in the first scenario, I was like an eight-year-old girl um, who ended up, well, I don't want to spoil the story. Bad stuff (laughs) happened, but she survived. Um, And in the second scenario, you keep the same family. And the second scenario was only like 20 something years later. And so I was the same girl, but I was older. Um, So I chose a different figure to be her. And it took place in the same house with its mysterious past. Um, But some of the time jumps in between the scenarios is longer. It might be like a hundred years later, at which point you'll be playing a descendant. Or if your previous character died, you could be playing like one of their kids or a cousin or somebody that you get to decide kind of how they're related to it. Um, but it's, it's really, really interesting. And it keeps you on your toes because it keeps introducing new twists and turns. Hmm. Cool. So if you become a werewolf at the end of one game, do you have to stay a werewolf for the rest of the next game? <laughs> You'll find out, I guess. I guess yeah. you'll have to play and find out. <laughs> Not far enough in yet. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is one of the legacy games that we have not played Ian. No, and we're legacy fans. Here. We're like we're like legacy legacy yeah. guys, and this yeah, this is. And here's the question, Ryan: Is this in your cart already? <laughs> uh, no, it's it's not in my cart tonight. I have oh, I have perused it on the shelf a number of times. Okay, so by the end of the episode, we need to have you purchase something. That's that's my that's, oh, that's my a, that's my that's meta game. The goal. That's always the goal. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Dragon's Den Games, located in the Louis VIII Mall on H Street in Saskatoon. Swing by Dragon's Den Games and let Darren, Al, and the awesome staff help you out in search for great board games, role-playing games, miniature systems, and all of the related accessories. Be a part of their gaming communities that have scheduled events in their great gaming area. Dragon's Den Games, Louis VIII Mall on 8th Street in Saskatoon. And welcome back. This is Cardboard Conjecture. We are going to hit our topic section, and it's the Designer Series. And we are so happy to have on this episode for the Designer Series is Corey Kaneska. Welcome, Corey. Hey, thanks, guys. Uh, I like to always, with the guests that we're interviewing and I think it stems from uh, watching too much James Lipton and inside the actor's studio when he goes uh, to the kind of where did they you know where were they born where did they grow up you know what school did they go to that sort of development so my first question is when did you discover that you had this creative perspective or interest in storytelling um well I've been making games as far back as I can remember. Like as a little kid, like we would, I'd be playing games with my brothers and we would um, inevitably like start like changing the rules or like (laughs) say, well, we don't have a game that's this. How do we make that? Like we'd be watching episodes of Star Trek and we're like, we don't have any Star Trek games. So we'd get out some graph paper and start drawing some stuff and making some stats for things. And it's just always been kind of a part of what, what I've been interested in doing. Um, and then when I was, gosh, 
I want to say probably a preteen, we, we got our first like personal computer oh. and immediately I was like, I want to learn how to make video games. And so my dad taught me like a little bit of basic programming and I started cool. like making text adventures and that sort of <laughs> stuff. And for longest time, I thought I'm going to spend my life making video games. That's what I want to do. Oh, right on. Um, and so that's kind of the, the um, path that I charted for myself. So I ended up um, doing a bunch of programming in school and going into computer science. Um, when I graduated high school, I spent about a year there. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, if I get a computer science degree, I'm going to spend the rest of my life programming <laughs> bank software. And I just, I, I can't do it. Yeah. Data so, input. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh. So, um, so I, I left and I was kind of afloat. I'm like, I don't know what I want to do. Um, and at that time I started getting into, to hobby, um, board gaming. Um, I remember picking up like Settlers of Catan and, and stuff like that and just playing with friends. Um, but at the same time, I, I was always kind of making my own things in the background, um, I was making like card games. I would play with my buddies whenever we would get together. We actually have this game that like all of us made in high school and middle school together that we still played for years later. That was just like written on index cards and like just this wacky little thing. Um, But I ended up going back to school for graphic design. um, And I'm like, this is much better, right? Mm -hmm. I can be creative, um, but it's also using the computer skills and I'm not, I don't have to use, I don't know. Was Well, was it at that point where you found your instrument? Like, like it sounds to me, this because I, I used to work in the music industry and it sounds to me that I've, I know a lot of people be like, oh, I play the bass, I play the guitar. And all of a sudden it's like, you know, I got into the lap steel and all of a sudden it's like, you can put all that stuff aside because I found, I found what I can connect to. Was that, when you hit that graphic arts, was that where this started coming out into into a physical presence um it's interesting because those two things they didn't collide that much for me at first yeah um so i got that degree and i was doing um i got a graphic design job at like a print broker i was designing like letterhead and business cards and that sort of stuff um and it was fine mm-hmm. i enjoyed it i liked it well enough um but i was playing the, the games in the background and i was making games with my friends in the background and then kind of the, the moment where I realized I could maybe actually make money doing this was when I saw uh, a job opening at, at Fantasy Flight Games. So I was, uh, I just pre-ordered Twilight, no, I just purchased Twilight Imperium. Twilight Imperium 3rd Edition had come out and I bought it and I was like, oh my gosh, this game is huge. And <laughs> It was the first game I ever pre-ordered, right? I was just waiting for it to come into the store to pick it up. And I'd read the rules in advance. Like, I was so into it. It was crazy. Um, and and so I started following their website to see, like, what other games they're yeah. working on. And, and that's where I saw the job posting. And I said, hey, I do this for fun. <laughs> I make games to play with my friends. Um, why not apply? Who knows? Maybe I could turn it into a career. Well, this is the perfect transition for like on our show notes. I, the second question is what like the first steps into the design industry and then on to design. So, I mean, like 
like everybody who finds that dream job, they're not going to give you the reins out of the gates. Right. So how talk to us about that progression. Sure. Yeah. So I started at, at FFG, I think it was 2005. Um, I came on board, of course, they were in the middle of a bunch of different products, projects were going on. Um, and they're like, Hey, come on in. Here's your first task. You need to, design some bosses for the World of Warcraft board game. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is super cool. Um, <laughs> and so I was sitting in an office, it was me and Kevin Wilson and John Goodenough. Um, we were kind of the board game design team. Um, and we're sitting there like on our computers, like typing up ideas, asking each other about stuff. I remember specifically like, sitting there at my desk, just like rolling fistfuls of dice to like simulate what would happen with the different things we're working on. I'm like, nope, that's broken. Try again. Um, and so it was, it's just like a fun little project to kind of like dive into the middle of and design a bunch of cards for. And, um, and start learning the ropes. So was that enough to get you connected to how, the like the bosses are the small pictures connected to the big picture because a lot of the times even as teachers we'll go into teaching thinking we have this broad spectrum but professionally speaking and comparatively speaking the horse blinders we we have we don't have the wisdom or experience to have those that that width or that breadth of uh of understanding of what it takes and there's push pull and there's sometimes you have bad days and sometimes ideas don't happen. Um, what steps um, towards this idea of, cause I mean, right away when you come in, there's, there, there's always that thing of there's that, there's that tipping point of, did I make a mistake? Did I get into this wrong or, or is it sort of like, I just got to get past that glass ceiling and then, right. So for me, I'm thinking, what what was that that tipping point that you went did i can do this i my ideas as you said all these games have relevance or validity sure yeah um there's i mean there's so many different steps and things involved with making game getting it produced and especially when i started ffg i was employee 20 something and so we're a small company Everybody's wearing multiple hats. Yeah. There's you're intimately involved with not just like the game design, but you also have to be managing the production side of it and quoting and, and art and all this sort of stuff. And so I got to see kind of as an observer, how a lot of that stuff happened, like for the second half of world of Warcraft board game. Um, and then my, my second, my third game, I, I, I may have them flip-flop, but I'm going to explain it in this order because it yeah, makes more sure. sense to me. Um, FFG got the rights to do a new version of the game Britannia, um, an old loose pulsifer game that was about the conquest of um, Great Britain over the, over the years, very historic game. Um, and that game was very different in the sense that this was a game we just wanted to make a new edition of. We didn't actually want to change anything. Yeah. And so my job was basically a producer on that. I was overseeing like all the steps from start to finish. I was making sure the art was getting assigned. I was talking to artists. I was um, working with the graphics design team to try to like reimagine like the look of the reference mm -hmm. sheets and all this sort of stuff. Um, 
but there was very little design work for me to do because we didn't really want to change anything. Yeah. Um, we played it a bit. We like had a couple of very minor critiques that we sent to the designer, but it, it was basically a, a producer job. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really get a chance to flex kind of the design side of things um, until I worked on Warrior Knights, which was a new edition of uh, old Games Workshop game um, by the same name that we had gotten the rights to do. And we had um, actually commissioned Bruno Fiduti to do a new edition of. Um, and he worked on an edition. He, he presented it to my boss, um, Christian Peterson. He looked at it and Chris was like, ah, this isn't really the direction I was hoping this would go in. Um, and all this stuff was happening behind the scenes. I wasn't really involved in it until it showed up on my desk one day. <laughs> Boom. Here, we want you to do a new edition of Warrior Knights. I'm like, well, what, what do you mean by that? Um, and so it was a lot of figuring out kind of how much creative freedom I had, how much of the old stuff we wanted to keep, what things from Bruno's edition did we want to keep. And so he had, he had made a lot of changes to the game too. He changed it from a grid to hexes and yeah. he had changed a bunch of other rules too. And so that was kind of a deconstruction project where um, I basically tried to isolate, well, what are, what are the main mechanics? What are the main themes that people like about this game? Um, and I, I vaguely remember having discussions with Christian at the time where he was, we were just kind of talking about if there were some interesting ways to do turn order because so many games are like, do these steps and then you do a phase, yeah. you do a round and, and all that sort of stuff. And so um, I don't remember which one of us came up with the idea of actually breaking up all the actions into cards that you were playing. And so everybody kind of chooses the actions they want. You put them into a pile, they get shuffled up, and then you kind of flip them over and you see who gets to do actions. And then after they do the action, the cards um, fill up these slots on a track and when the tracks fill up then you resolve that specific phase um and so it's kind of the first real like mechanical innovation that i got to get involved in um we also i also really wanted to try to do the game without having any dice and so we um, found ways of doing everything with cards and so i think that was the first time that i was given any sort of creative freedom to kind of steer the game yeah um and I guess it turned out well because they kept letting me do it. Hmm. <laughs> I like that. The uh, they'll let me know if I'm doing something wrong if I don't have a job. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and and I mean in in that kind of industry, um, you know, reflecting back with me with the musicians and it's always um, it's always that whole idea of you're just as you're you're as good as the last product that you that you published, right? Um, because there's always you know there's always a new project there's always a, a new idea coming on so that's going to kind of make me transition into uh when i did my research i noticed um not a disproportion but i noticed a preference or a direction in ip so i came up with the question of do you have a preference for ip centered design or designer inspired design or is there is there um like like us with teachers, we have somebody above us saying, "Here here are the parameters of what you of your sandbox, 
be creative as you can, right? So yeah, how, how do you, and with your new company coming in, maybe that's a, you know, interesting uh, uh, duality to discuss. Yeah. Um, so a lot of times the way that game development would work when I was at FFG would be my boss would have the schedule of all the games that he wanted to put out. And then he would kind of figure out who should work on which games. And maybe he would come talk to people and say, Hey, do you have any interest in this particular book or movie or show? Um, and usually when he would ask that, it was because <laughs> either he was trying to get the rights to it or, or had acquired the rights to it. Um, and so that's where things like Battlestar Galactica came from. Um, he's like, hey, I got the rights. We, we've got the rights to a Battlestar Galactica board game. Um, and are you interested in working on it? I was like, absolutely, yes, please <laughs> sign me up. Um, I love that. And, and that's a game where I think that the core concept of it, we were on a plane ride probably up to California to meet with Blizzard on something. Um, and I was sitting next to Chris and we were kind of like had our notebooks open and we were just writing down like, what should this game be? And coming up with kind of the scope of what do we want people to do? What do we want the perspectives to be? And um, he was the one that was like, well, this has to be like a trader game. And um, it, it just makes so much sense. And uh, going back to the idea of IPs versus not IPs, I mean, I like working on both. They're very different. <laughs> um, I, I've reached the point in my career where if I'm going to work on an IP, it has to be something I really love. Yeah. Because nice. I've just worked on so many throughout the years, and some some of them I, I knew nothing about. Um, I was tasked with designing an expansion to Game of Thrones, the board game. I hadn't read Game of Thrones at the time. So my boss is like, here's a stack of books. Read this. You're going to be designing a expansion for it. I'm like, okay. Uh, That's a big pile so, of homework. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, uh, I mean, certain opportunities came along, like working on Star Wars. Like, that was oh. like my favorite IP as a kid. And so I... As soon as we got the Star Wars IP, I was just itching. Like, when do I get a chance to do something? Like, <laughs> please, 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 please. Um, and luckily, I, I got a lot of opportunities to do Star Wars stuff. So, um, cool. was that intimidating? Because when like Star Wars is like the biggest, arguably the biggest franchise out there, and knowing that you're making, you know, the Star Wars board game, was that? Was that, did you find that intimidating at all or was it more exciting? I or? think that by the time I got to work on Star Wars, I, I'd kind of gotten the intimidation factor out of my system. Like, I remember the first time um, being really intimidated working on StarCraft, the board game, because I played that game to death, um, <laughs> the, the original StarCraft. And so when I got the opportunity to work on that, like I was so starstruck and I'm like, oh, I can't mess this up. Oh, yeah. um, but then by the time I got to work on Star Wars stuff, like, I don't know, that was maybe five years later. Um, and so by then I, I had maybe gained some confidence working with some big IPs and I knew kind of what um, licensors were looking for. I, I had been on plenty of trips to kind of, out to studios to play with licensors and play with design teams and um, various other people. And so, I don't know, I started getting comfortable with being able to read them and understand really like 
well, what are you looking for out of this? And um, here's, here's kind of what our vision is for it. Here's what my ideas are for it. Um, is there anything that, that you are concerned about? Um, and every, every licensor is very different mm-hmm. in kind of the types of concerns they have. Um, but they were, um, they were great to work with and uh, very, very open. And, and we established a relationship where we, we kind of trusted that they trusted that we knew Star Wars that I knew Star Wars and I trusted that they would help out and um, provide the feedback when we needed it. And I don't know, it just, cool. Because ultimately, the end goal is you both want the same thing, right? Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think we came through that with spades because I think you've got like the Star Wars games. This episode is proudly supported by the amazing team at Breakout Escape and Board Game Lounge right here in Saskatoon. Using industry leading technology, Breakout Escapes escape rooms are all 100% uniquely designed by the team, ensuring their patrons have maximum fun while staying safe. As well, they are a fully licensed board game lounge with over 400 titles to select from to ensure fun for every gamer new and experienced. Be sure to check them out at BreakoutSask.com. At Breakout Escapes and Game Lounge, they believe that life is more fun when you play games. Perfect transition, Ryan, because uh, yeah. we, we love to go through the, the chronology or the gameology um, uh, give, and give you a little kind of trip down memory lane. Um, but you okay. did mention Warrior Knights, and that came out in, in 06, 2006. Uh, you mentioned StarCraft, and when you mentioned the video game, I saw Ryan's head nodding in agreement of playing how, the plastic. How many hours? Right yeah. How many hours? Uh, until like 3 a.m. when you're supposed to be doing your homework. Yeah, yeah, it's not a short game. I'll get this done before class. Um, in in the same year, 07, uh, you did Tide of Iron. Is there is there anything that you want to quickly pitch out there? Um, so Tide of Iron was an interesting one where I was just doing some assistance work. I mean, that was mostly John Goodenough doing that with uh, Christian kind of steering some of the direction, and I was kind of pulled in at the end, like. Hey, we need some help. We need more scenarios and we need more writing in the rules or whatever Tie, they threw me on. So pull all the threads um, together kind of thing. So yeah, I wouldn't necessarily list myself as the designer of that game. Um, I made some content. <laughs> well, BGG <laughs> considers you part of that team. <laughs> they didn't um, really have like a developer tag. Okay. Uh oh wait, you like as far as IPs go, you're pretty much ringing every one of my faves and Battlestar Galactica, the board game. Who, what? I, and I've not played this. And um, I was one of those, uh, you know, people that was just, and to, before streaming happened, all you young people, we had to wait weekly for our fix. And uh, so, yeah, talk to us about, about uh, um, you know, getting this, communication on the day kind of <gasps> sure um I, i'm a huge sci-fi geek um anything sci-fi i'll just eat it up um <laughs> and so my memory is a little bit hazy but i remember um, when we got the license to it um my boss said you should watch this show 
And I'm like, oh, okay. And so, like, I think there was maybe a season out at the time. And so, like, I watched, like, the entire first season, like, a weekend or something crazy. I'm like, got completely sucked in. I'm like, okay, this is amazing. I need to work on this. Um, and so, at that point, I caught up and then I started watching it weekly. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a phenomenon, right? Like, oh. it was the the water cooler show where people would come in on Monday and be like, Oh my gosh, can you believe that that thing happened? Where are they going to go? What's going to happen next? Um, and to be able to be working on the board game adaptation of that at the same time, as like this, this show is at its height, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's like got its biggest following. Everyone's super excited about it. Like it was, there was just this energy about it that kind of swept through the office and it was, I think we realized that we had something special when I actually had people coming up to me throughout the day and say, Hey, when are you play testing next? Like sign me up. <laughs> like I didn't actually have to go out and hound people and say, Hey, who wants to play test with me after hours? Like, um, there people was no were hunting me down. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, okay, we've got something special here. Um, and it just, it just kind of clicked right from the beginning. Like Obviously, the first prototype wasn't like how it ended up at the end, but there was there was the magic kind of right from the start. And um, then it was just kind of, I don't know, it 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 was a game that just kind of steered itself. Um, Sorry, as far as the 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 hidden, uh, um, you know, aspect of the game, was this an innovation that popped in or was this something that you researched and went? They've, I, there's a few games that tried this, but I, here's my take. So that was from the vision right at the beginning. Um, Christian said, listen, there's there's this game, Shadows Over Camelot, it's got like a traitor mechanic. Like we need to do that in some way in this game here. Like we shouldn't do it exactly because we can, we can make it more appropriate to the theme. And so we started talking about things. And that's where like the sleeper phase came up by like, Maybe you're a traitor and you don't even know it because that was like a big theme at the in Battlestar Galactica that people might not know if they were a Cylon. Um, and so it was kind of like working our way into like, well, what's the best way to do this? And I mean, the seed of that idea, it's like you're all working together, but somebody is actively trying to stop you and they need to remain hidden. And that's kind of where all the mechanics came from. It was all about like, how can we obfuscate the um, times when someone is trying to um, sabotage you and how can we make actions where someone isn't trying to sabotage you look like they might be trying to sabotage you. And so that's where things like choosing destinations came from where the, um, the Admiral has to draw two cards and choose where we're going to. And it's always bad. And so they put down the card. Sorry guys, we're going to this location. Everybody complains like, Oh, really? He's obviously a Cylon. And so, it was just finding as many of those moments as possible where people could accuse the wrong person, <laughs> throw them in the brig. Um, and that's another example where um, I didn't want my ideas to be tainted by the other game. And so I didn't actually look at or play Shadows over Camelot until after Battlestar Galactic was done. And I'm like, okay, I can look at it now. Okay, Let's see yeah. how they did it. I'm like, oh, okay. It's not too similar. All right. <laughs> Um, uh, and so now, because um, yeah. now, because nowadays, um, Battlestar Galacta is a very hard game to find, <laughs> and it's a, 
Um, but we see now that your design for Battlestar Galacta is being re-implemented. Yes. Yes. Into Unfathomable, which mm -hmm. now they put a, uh, the design team has put, because um, you're not the credited designer that's inspired by your design. And then they've put an, an Arkham, an Arkham horror um, twist on, on, on the, on the game. Do you have thoughts? Yeah. So, I mean, that was, that's a game that's been a long time in the making. So when I was at FFG years ago, everybody's been asking for Battlestar Galactic to come back. And so we said, hey, we've got to find a way to make this comeback. What IP makes the most sense? And so a lot of IPs were thrown around. Um, and uh, around the time that I left, I think one of the last few vision documents that I reviewed before I left was for Unfathomable. Um, and this was taking the BSG design and fixing the parts that maybe haven't aged as well or were slightly broken and make it more appropriate to the theme. Um, and the designer who was taking over this project was Tony Fanchi, who I had just worked with on the Star Wars Outer Rim game. And so um, we collaborated, we had some meetings, we talked about kind of where I would like to see the game go. He talked about where he would like to see it go. Um, and then I went off to do my own thing and, um, but I stayed in touch. And so I, I played some prototypes. He showed me what they were working on. Um, I gave him some feedback on some nice. things. And so um, I was involved in the process and I think, I think it's going to be awesome. People are going to be very happy to see that game. Awesome. Yes. I have my pre-order. And <laughs> at my local store because Good I man. I never got to play Battlestar Galactic either because I, I came into the hobby at around the time you could you couldn't find it anymore oh, it yeah. was out of print at the time and it was a plaid and I always hear people ranting and raving in our in our in our gaming circle here in Saskatoon about how great of a game it is and I was like I need to play it and well I, and I keep thinking my own it's an urban myth man that game just does not exist. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, so let's uh, let's keep going through this list now. I'm gonna because there's a game that I want to get to. The so don't feel I'm being being uh, um, uh, disrespectful by pushing through. But you have uh, 08 was World of Warcraft as you had mentioned the adventure game. Uh, 09 uh, Middle Earth Quest. Uh, 2010 Ruin Wars. Um, so out of that batch, was there any significant uh, kind of pop? that uh that is hitting you right now as you reflect um so i mean in that time period it was there was a lot going on like i was evolving as a designer like world of warcraft the adventure game it was a different game than the first world of warcraft game i worked on this was kind of like can we make a more accessible game that mm -hmm. will appeal to a wider audience um it my, my reflection on that game is that well we, we maybe aimed for the middle of the road too much and it didn't appeal to the hobby gamers or the more casual people, but there's that one guy that it's perfect for and he loves that game. Um, <laughs> middle Earth Quest is, is notable because I remember that was kind of when I got my rules writing boot camp with, um, with Christian. And so oh, cool. I was working on that game and we're talking a lot about rules and he had very strong opinions on rules. I was kind of figuring out what I wanted to do with rules. And I remember I spent, it was, it was like a week, instead of going into the office, I went to Chris's house who went in his personal office, locked the door and 
together we wrote that rule book um and so like we would discuss like every paragraph like what's the best way to approach this how do we want to do that here's here's some tips or some Mm -hmm. um issues that i see here um and so that was i think that still influences me today um nice writing rules is hard and um it's (laughs) i continue to learn more every time i do it but that's kind of what left the biggest impression on me Maybe Corey can spread some light onto this because this is one thing that's always um, been at the forefront of my mind because out of the three of us, I'm probably Mr. Fantasy Flight Games fanboy. <laughs> like that. And, and we, we, we just talk, we just talk about like rule writing and rule editing and some of these games that I absolutely love and adore. I always joke have the two, the two rule book system, the learn to play mm-hmm. book and then the rules reference yep. uh, uh, book um, type of thing. Um, has that was that, how when did that come into play uh, at Fantasy Flight Games? Um, it was when we were working on Battlelore Second Edition and Elder Tor. Um, both of those games were in development at the same time, and I remember um, we were also working on a reprint of Lord of the Rings Confrontation. And Chris was kind of very frustrated with the rule books at the time, like and he should have been like, they're very frustrating beasts. And I think the crux of the problem and the thing that I still struggle with today is that a rule book is often trying to do two things. It's trying to teach a new player how to play the game. And it's also trying to catch all the exceptions and all the gnarly stuff that's going to come up during your game that you're going to want to figure out how to resolve. Um, And it's very difficult to do both. Uh, I'm editing a rule book right now and um, it's very hard to not kind of get into the weeds when you're kind of writing the rules. You're like, oh, there's this exception. Oh, there's this exception. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's this exception. As you write those out, it becomes harder and harder for that new player to actually get through the rule book and to get a full picture of like, well, what's, what's the turn sequence? What's the game ritual? Um, and so that's where kind of the genesis for this idea came from. Well, what if we made a book that was devoted entirely to let's teach new people how to play? And we're going to forget about the idea that we need to cover every exception because that's not the point of this. Mm-hmm. Make a separate book. But that's, that's, that's how it works. And I mean, we weren't the first people to do this. Even like Catan has done something similar to this for, for a long time. Um, but for especially complex games, it's, I don't know. I feel like it's easier. I feel like it's more useful but you tell me my first experience with the the learn to play and rules reference was our experience at (laughs) um MeepleCon norm when we tried to learn um fury Fury. of dracula oh one in the morning and it it left a well yeah i guess we were trying to do it a little (laughs) too late but it left a sour taste in my mouth because we're like some things are not meshing between the two books but it was uh, it was actually the star wars rebellion one that actually clarified it to me. I'm like, okay, wait, this is the same company, obviously completely different people that can, that contributed to these rule books. Cause this one's way more clear and concise. Mm-hmm. This one's a little bit more convoluted type of thing. So it's, it's really hard. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I was, like it's I said, I, yeah, I, this, I was playing that um, Betrayal Legacy with people, um, the first new game that I've broken out in a while. And it was interesting to be on the other side of that 
once again, like, oh, now I need to learn a game from a rule book. Oh, here we go. <laughs> um, and so I think I think I probably learned some stuff there. But I feel like I feel like the evolution is almost going towards um, instead of doing a learn to play and a rules reference to do the the full rule book with all the exceptions and do a learn to play video. <laughs> so mm. the people who want to like yeah. just learn how to play the game, they can watch the video. Um, like I've been teaming up with Rodney Smith who does watch yeah. it played. Um, and he did the initiative for me, did a great job. It's like, here, learn how to play the game in 10, 15 minutes tops. Yeah. Hybrid right? learning. Yeah, for sure. And if you have some like questions, then you can go to the rule book. And so then people are using the rule book for a reference. Yeah. And so you can write it like a reference um, with all the exceptions in the right spots. I don't know. Hmm. Cool. I, I don't want to get off the rails because I'm, <laughs> I'm just like uh, looking at the one I want to talk about. Uh, so so let's, let's switch into the next decade, 2010. Uh, Rune Wars comes out and... This is the one I want to talk about. Space Hulk Death Angel, the card game. Uh, I own this game. And it, it like uh, I believe like Battlestar Galactica, you can't find this game anymore. And wow, for people who don't know, this is the most intense thematic experience with a deck of cards. Um, and I, I mean, I can't simply state it that how did you pull this off? to produce this much cranked up anxiety with a card game. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I remember the pitch. Um, it's like, we want to make a space Hulk card game. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Like my, some of my earliest memories are um, playing hero quest. Okay. I was playing hero quest with my, with my younger brother. And in that box, um, it was either in that box or, or something that we had with it had a, an ad for Space Hulk. Um, and so I don't know how those two kind of led to each other, but I remember playing Hero Quest and looking at like Space Hulk and be like, oh my gosh, I have to get this game. Um, and I never did. Like I never tracked down a copy um, until I was much older. Um, and so getting the opportunity to work on like such a beloved game, but a reimagining of it yeah. was is pretty cool um it was i don't know I, i'd worked on a couple of co-op games by then but it was me just kind of figuring out like well what do people want out of these games right like how hard should it be yeah <laughs> and that particular game it's it's brutal oh well and the interesting thing for me is i have no context to the ip because it's so it's a it comes from the warhammer world doesn't it mm -hmm. yeah so i have absolutely zero um basis of a, a foundational understanding of this ip from my perspective and i've heard a lot of people talk about it, it's like aliens like the second movie yeah. where you you it's basically you're you're the team going down a hallway and it's it's like you said i don't th i think i've survived to the end once <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah so uh i'm gonna have to share this game with you guys because um you'll and i i think that was when i discovered that solo modes or solo plays are legitimate um um ways to play a game right it's not like sure. oh i got nobody so i'll just play by myself and i'll 
you know, make, I'll try to trick myself. Like I'm having, no, this is just, yeah. I feel if anybody knows the aliens, I felt like Hudson every time they're all over, man, they're all over. Right. Um, so yeah, I'm, yeah, you guys have to play this game. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put it in your mailbox. Uh, we're going to, we're going to be here for days. If we, uh, if we go too <laughs> nitpicky on these, but yeah. um, I'll, I'll bounce through. And uh, when you want to stop and talk about a game, you stop and talk. Sure. Okay. So uh, Ruin Age in 2011, uh, Gears of War, the board game 2011, and Mansions of Madness. These all came out in 2011. <laughs> I can tell you I wasn't working on all three at the same time. Um, there were probably some delays somewhere and things overlapped. Gosh, um, I mean, that was an era where, like, I, I think for the first time I was able to pitch some games. Like I know Rune Age was a game. Um, I believe I worked on that with Steve Kimball. We were um, playing deck builders. They'd just come out, right? Everybody was playing Dominion. Um, mm -hmm. I think Ascension might've come out as well. And I was thinking like, oh, why are all deck builders like get the most point cards into your deck and that's how you win? Like, <laughs> and so, we came up with this idea like well, what if it, we made a scenario based deck builder um and that game i don't know i feel like it should have been a bigger success because the people the way that you talk about death angel i have people come up to me about this game be like rune age oh man you should find a way to bring that back <laughs> cool see now part of me and i think i see ryan going oh where can we find this online i get it. yeah good luck <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh, get, yeah. get the expansion too. Make sure you get the expansion. Yeah, oh, there's, see, many, there's many games on this list where I was just like, <laughs> I wish I had. I wish I had. I wish I had. Gears of War is one of them because I was a huge Gears of War guy. Again, three spend staying up till 3 a.m. powering <laughs> through the power drops and stuff like that and everything. It's always one that I've always wanted to play, just can never. I don't think there's a copy of anybody in Saskatoon that has it. <laughs> yeah, that one's pretty hard to find too. It has it has a very devoted following too. It's one mm -hmm. of those games that I get asked about a lot. Um, if people just show up out of the blue at a convention with like their copy of Gears of War and like, hey, I'm like, oh, wow. I, I didn't realize <laughs> people were so into. Okay, cool. Awesome. That, and that must be a pleasant surprise for you as a designer. Um that that people are connected to some of your like you know the 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 new hotness right that there is a there is a um dedicated community kind of connected to these ideas and these these elements um yeah let, let's uh let's pop through 2012 was a slow year for you you didn't put up oh. one game come on what's wrong <laughs> um but i'd sitting on my shelf and uh descent um yeah, that uh, now, how about we tie in um, Descent and like the trilogy Descent, uh, Imperial Assault, and Lord of the Rings? Is that did you have influence or connection to that, or was it again, Journeys in Middle Earth? Journeys in, yeah, yeah. Um, so for Journeys in Middle Earth at that time, I was the executive game designer at FFG, and so I was like playing other people's games and providing feedback and insight and um, helping them along the way. But I, I wasn't designing that particular mm -hmm. game. That was kind of 
built off of Mansion Madness second edition, which was built off of Mansion Madness first edition, which I worked on. So it's like three the degrees of Kevin events, Bacon yeah. away from me. Um, <laughs> for um, and then I mean Imperial Assault has different three degrees of Kevin Bacon from the original Descent, which was designed by Kevin Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Descent second edition was us kind of taking Kevin's hugely successful game um, and taking the best parts from the expansions and reimagining it a little bit. And we had, that was probably the biggest design team I had ever been on at the time. I think there were like three of us working on it, which was insane. Like more than one person working on a game. Um, (laughs) And so, I mean, the biggest change with second edition was that we wanted there to be campaign play from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, Descent first edition was all about playing one-offs and, Descent First Edition really kind of hit its biggest success when Road to Legend came out, which was the expansion that made it a campaign. And so um, this we, we really dove into the um, let's tell a coherent narrative. And um, I mean, that game ended up spinning off so many different things, right? Mm-hmm. We made Descent Second Edition, and then we made um, a cooperative play um, mode that was a print-on-demand expansion, and that was really successful. So yeah. we turned that into an app yeah. that was a way to play cooperatively with an app, and then that kind of spawned Mansion of Madness, and yeah. everything kind of feeds into each other. Mm-hmm. And that snowball collides into all these other uh, all all these other uh, products too. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We're we're getting into that zone of <laughs> I'm looking at some of the games, and we're getting into one, another one of those games where uh, there's no, I mean, it's an urban myth. And that's, uh, that's for me, let's go through uh, 2013, Eldritch Horror, uh, 2014, uh, Imperial Assault, as you mentioned it before. But this is the, another one of those unicorns, is 2015 Forbidden Stars. Oh. And um, Ryan, I think you're, you, were, you had talked to me a lot about this, or that... That it was one of those unicorns that I don't even want to think about it because I'll never find it. Right, because it, it just seems like it checks off all the boxes of things that I enjoy in these types of in these types of games. I'm not a big Warhammer universe kind of guy, but I thought that the gameplay and how it how it looks just really really um, speaks to me. And then when I go to find it, I said, "Oh yeah, okay." I people are talking about this game. Go online. Oh. <laughs> oh people people in canada are have like extortion prices on, on 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 the on this thing even even though it's only about like at this point it's like six years old yeah i mean it came out and ffg lost license to games workshop stuff oh, that's right. shortly thereafter and so it wasn't in print very long and so it's hard to find um so that's a game where another one we're creating me as a designer is little questionable so it's based <laughs> off of starcraft which i did design yeah. um, with with christian and so my involvement with forbidden stars was um basically playing it with the team and providing feedback and i might have helped like redesign some minor things but for the most part that was james niffin and sam bailey kind of taking starcraft making a um a 40k game using those yeah using some of the mechanics but then i mean they completely redid the combat system and they um 
changed the way the upgrades worked. And so it was influenced by my design. You were, you were the sage on the side. Yeah, there you go. Um, uh, 2016. Uh, yeah. I, uh, Ryan and I think we, we, we've played this to the point where, where we could like start writing chaptered book entries. Um, Star Wars Rebellion. This is, a th- by the way, thank you so much. This is the <laughs> cat and mouse game that I've ever had the fun, fun time playing. Talk to us about that, please. Yeah, this game was a blast to work on. Um, I mean, the idea for it was obviously inspired by the old video game, Star Wars Rebellion, which I tried playing as a kid, but it was just like above my head. I couldn't figure out how to play this game. Um, but I always liked the idea of it. Um, and so this was this was one where Christian said, hey, we should do a board game that's kind of inspired by that. And it's all about the asymmetry. Um, and so I'm like, yeah, that sounds really cool. Because, I mean, in most war games, everyone's on relatively even footing, right? Yeah. Um, and so, but this isn't a war game, right? It's, it's more of, you've got, sure, you've got forces, you're moving around. But it's also about the stories and it's about the characters. It's about the heroes and sending them on missions. And so this game, I mean, it was a blast to work on. And um, it it evolved a lot throughout development. I remember um, one of the biggest changes is you used to send a character on a mission and it would take them multiple turns to finish a mission. So you'd like place counters on it and it would count up. So it's like five turns later, Lando finally finished his mission. And, um, and so... Um, we, we just kind of focus the game more in on like, let's make it snappier. And, um, it just, I don't know, it it turned into another one of those lightning in a bottle type games where I would have people coming up to me and ask to play test. So it was kind of some deja vu with BSG again. Mm -hmm. The, um, uh, the, the next one, uh, the next couple, I know that, uh, that Ryan, uh, you're all about. Uh, we had mentioned 2016. We had already mentioned uh, Star Wars Destiny, um, and uh, 2017 Twilight Imperium Fourth Edition. Because you talked about uh, Ti3 being being that epic moment, bringing that box home, oh, yeah. like a, a choir of angels singing in behind you <laughs> with backlighting, and you just walk hmm. into the house. Um, mm-hmm. Talk to us about Ti4 if you want. Yeah, so, I mean, TI3 was kind of the reason I got the job in the first place and the reason why I'm a game designer today professionally. Um, When I applied for the position at FFG, I sent in like a homebrew expansion I was working on with one of my friends, um, which could have been dangerous because I didn't know that the designer of Twilight Imperium was going to read and scrutinize what I designed. Um, But apparently it wasn't too bad because I got an interview. And so my kind of journey with Twilight Imperium is I um, started playing it before I got the job. I was fortunate enough to get to design the expansion, the Twilight Imperium third edition. And then I kind of oversaw the design of the second expansion to TI3. And then we get down the line where TI4 is coming out. Um, And this was something that, you know, Chris had been talking about for a while, like, you know, I really like TI3, but it, it needs an update, but we have to do it at the right time. Um, and so this was kind of the coming together of like, um, Chris was of course involved because Twilight Imperium was 
his invention. It was the thing that started FFG. Um, and then I was involved having worked on the expansions. And then we brought in um, uh, fresh talent at the time, Dane um, Beltrimi. He had um, started, it was one of his, um, it wasn't his first project there. He could, he could clarify yeah. that, but um, he was a huge Twilight Imperium fan. He had played probably more than us combined. Um, and so he kind of brought him on and he was the one driving the development. And um, Chris and I were basically steering it. I was, I was steering it and he, and Chris was steering me. And so it was a lot of, um, a lot of planning, honestly, we'd have so many meetings where we would say, well, let's identify what are the best parts of Twilight Pyramid. 2018, tell me about this new chaos in a bottle. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the big pitch for that game was actually the brainchild of uh, Eric Lang and Christian Peterson. They, they'd kind of, my understanding of the story is, one night at a convention they were hanging out and they were throwing around this idea of would it be possible to make a board game in which no two copies in the world are the same um and they kind of threw around a bunch of ideas and they were um trying to figure out how to do this and then um a couple of years later i was independently working on this game this pitch that i had about kind of a survival game where you were kind of thrown into this mystery where you wake up on an island or in the wilderness and you don't know how you got here, what's going on. Um, and I thought, hey, this would actually be a really cool application of their idea. Um, and so I talked to them about it and said, hey, would this make sense? And so um, then it was just figuring out how to, how to engineer it um, and kind of breaking the content of the game down into these little packets that you yeah. randomly get mixed up and it all had to work together somehow. And so um, honestly, the most fun for me working on that game was figuring out like how to make it work without breaking. How the nodes can connect. Yeah. 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 It was, it was very interesting. Um, and this one came out around the same time as Keyforge, Yeah. Mm -hmm. I believe, which would have that same kind of idea where, Everybody would buy a deck, but no two decks are ever going to be the same, which would probably be a little bit easier to pull off as a <laughs> card game format than rather a board game. Format. Yeah, it was, it was kind of wild because um, Richard Garfield approached FFG independently with this card game idea, Keyforge. Um, and he's like, hey, what if there was a game where you had collectible card game but the decks were pre-made and they were all random and no two were the same we're like wow that's interesting and so chris talked to him and said hey this is awesome just so you know there's also this other game we're working on and so they kind of had <laughs> a shared branding of like unique games um so the synchronicity of it wasn't designed it was perchance no just that kind of happened that's actually really kind of cool nice nice um uh let's move <laughs> Let's move to 2019, Star Wars Outer Rim. Um, ah, I, this IP is, I just, I mean, I, right now I'm watching Bad Batch like I'm a 10-year-old again. So nice. uh, what's, was this another one of those land on your desks? And, and, and here's the challenge. No, this is, this is one that I was actually able to pitch. Um, when we got the Star Wars license, we originally um, 
couldn't do board games or we could do them in limited ways. Um, and so we'd always kicked around this idea in the office. I remember talking to the head of the graphic design department who he used to work at like West End games on the old Star Wars role-playing games. And we joke around with this idea, like, you know, the one Star Wars game that doesn't exist is the Han Solo game. The game that's kind of modeled after like the old privateer video games where you like tool around the galaxy and you're falling apart rust bucket until you can buy a slightly better rust bucket. Um, <laughs> and you encounter all sorts of crazy um bounty hunters and smugglers and imperial patrols and all that sort of crazy stuff um and so i made the pitch i said well if if we ever have the opportunity to do another star wars board game we should do this one um and then the renewal for the contract came up and lo and behold that pitch was in there and um i got to make it nice. turn it into a real game nice um, and uh, you've probably been asked a ton if there's a Mandalorian expansion coming in with that. Um, so all I can oh, say we, is that FFG has um, said that there's an expansion in the works. Um, I can't say any details about it. I can say that um, I did some of the design work on it um, with Tony. And so um, when they're ready... Cool. to announce it they'll announce it and they'll give out more details but um it it the, doing a mandalorian <laughs> would be a challenge because no. it's not the same time period yeah yeah so. yeah but oh, I, a lot of i mean it's everybody but everything's improved with baby yoda so <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah wow okay so that that makes me feel a little bit because every time that i look at a ffg announcement post there's always going to be that one guy there's a Oh, I thought this was going to be the Outer Rim expansion. Yeah. When are you announcing the Outer Rim expansion? Yeah. There's always going to be that one guy. Sorry, I'm well, that one guy. Yeah. It's coming. It takes time. <laughs> oh, I know things take time. Oh, yeah. Let's <laughs> let's transition into uh, the, uh, the initiative and also uh, your, I'd say, departure from uh, FFG, but mostly your uh, transition into a new phase as a... Uh, as publisher of unexpected games. So, uh, and Ryan, as we could see over shoulder, Ryan, you've played the initiative. So I know that you're, you're, you're going to yeah, be we loved it. dialed into this okay. one. So yeah. Talk to us about 2021, the initiative. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in 2019, um, I had talked to my, my boss at, at FFG and Asmodee and I said, listen, um, I love working at FFG. I love doing all this stuff. But if I have to design another game where I'm a dude running around in a dungeon getting new loot, like I'm going to gouge my eyes out. Um, <laughs> so it's funny I say that. Watch me, watch me make a dungeon crawl someone. <laughs> um, and, and so I said, I would really love to have an opportunity to kind of try to be more of an idea incubator um, and to start a studio that's really focused on let's try out some crazy different stuff because um, FFG has all sorts of obligations and licenses mm -hmm. that they need to do. It's not the place where I would necessarily have the opportunity to do this and at the same time I had a lot of game ideas throughout the years that I'd written down 
that had pitched that were just never a good fit for FFG. Um, and the initiative's one of them where like, here's a game that I'm really excited about that I think is really unique on many different levels. Um, but it's just never going to become a real product unless, yeah. um, unless I can convince my boss to let me form a new studio that is dedicated to, um, to creating these wild, crazy ideas and turning them into games. Like a gamers think tank kind of. Yeah. It's just um, like, it's funny. I say this and I set like expectations so high, like, Oh, it's going to be so wild and crazy and different. It's like, well, I, it's important that any game that unexpected games puts out has to have some unique elements. Yeah. The most important thing is that I don't want to be making games that are going, that are intended to replace something on your shelf. I don't yeah. want to make, build a better mousetrap. I want to build something new. Um, and so as a designer, I mean, you saw the giant list of games yeah. done. Like, I feel like if I'm going to keep designing games, I, I, they need to be fresh and different than what I've worked on before yeah. or else I'm not really inspired to work on them. Um, yeah. And so the initiative is kind of my first, uh, first published game yeah. under unexpected games. It's very different than my other games. Um, I would say it's probably the most accessible game that I've worked on. Um, there's, three kind of levels to it there's um there's the game itself um which is a game about cracking codes and um collecting clues and that sort of stuff um but then there's the meta layer on top of that which is that the game is about these kids who found a game at a yard sale and they're playing it and so you're playing as these kids who are playing a game um, <laughs> And so it's kind of this found artifact that you have where it's like, this is a game from a yard sale that's got like notes written in the columns, like from the previous owner and like components are missing because they were lost and like all this sort of stuff. Um, nice. So it's about unraveling this mystery. Um, and the whole story is told through a comic book. And so before each game, you read a page of the comic book, it sets up kind of what the characters are up to and then you play the game there may be repercussions and you'll read another page of the, of the book and it kind of takes you through this story. Um, and the third layer is kind of this, um, it's, it's a, a legacy like layer where um, there's secrets for you to discover where as you play through the game, yeah. you're going to get cards out of this deck that are like add new rules or like plot twists and various different things. Um, and some of them are very mysterious. We get this card and it's like, got these strange symbols on it and you're like i have no idea what this means um but at some point you will know what that means and it will be important somehow um and so you're almost playing multiple games you're playing you sit down you play a game on the board with your figures move them around but then there's also almost a um escape room type challenge beyond that where in between games you're going to have these clues and hints and riddles and different things you're going to be scratching down writing on your notebook and <laughs> trying to figure out how it all connects and so that was kind of the ambitious pitch and uh i think it i think it mostly worked i think it turned out really cool well i'm looking yeah. at ryan's screen and he's nodding his head and and absolutely yeah, but that was that was my wife's favorite part was the not the 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 outside of the playing of the game and moving the figures 
she almost would always be like, okay, you do the game part and then come back to me when, <laughs> when it's time to actually do the, 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 the meta stuff and everything like that. She's, she's like, okay, the game was fun and all, but tell me, tell me what the good stuff is now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which, which was which is absolutely a blast and we're like into the, like the i don't even know if it's it's not a spoiler or anything like that but the game after the game now the game after the game yes the so game after you after the campaign game. there's the post campaign content which even though it's it's difficult to like replay the missions so we made sure to include many more missions for you to play after the campaign and they're kind of tangled up in their own little mystery for you to solve Cool. Yep. We're enjoying that. We're enjoying that part. Awesome. We're enjoying that. So we've come to 2021 to the initiative. My next question is, um, well, obviously there's, there's, you know, uh, uh, folders of, of games that are in development, but I think my question for you is um, like, I don't want you to spill the beans on anything, but is there, a, is there a mechanism or is there, a hybrid or branch off of a mechanism that in your head, like a musician, I want to try and play, play this lick this way, right? Is there some twist that you want to explore, I guess? Oh gosh. I've got a whole document on my computer. (laughs) Part three of the interview. (laughs) And a lot of them are these really high concept things that I'm like, I have no idea how that would even work, but I'll write it down. Um, some of them are just little things like here's an aha moment that I would love to see in a game. And I can't tell that to you because then if you were to ever play it, you'd never have that like aha moment. Uh, that sixth oh. sense moment. <laughs> but some of it is just like um, either, either an idea for a mechanic that I've been kicking around or like a, a genre of game that I'm like, there's nothing quite like this. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I had this one like m- micro game that I designed once that you play in 60 seconds. Um, <laughs> so like, That's my attention span right there. Yeah. I don't know how this one is like commercially viable, um, but it's unique. Yeah. So that's kind of in the slush pile of like, maybe I'll do that somewhere down the line. Because um, you had said that you don't want to design games to replace other games. So obviously you're, you're, you're trying to look into into that that gray zone in between and that mm-hmm. must be a, a, a to train yourself to pay attention to that must be a unique perspective yeah some of it is is like riffs off of previous stuff but taking them in different directions and then some of it is just like like i have some ideas for some app integrated games which is a space that hasn't been explored very much right there are some app integrated games mm-hmm. out there. She's done a lot of them, but um, there's, uh, especially at FFG, they're very similar, right? They play, they kind of play yeah. as the overlord yeah. that does the, that allows you to play cooperatively. And some other studios have used apps to do other things, but um, the design space is huge and people have barely scratched the surface on what yeah. you could do with apps. Um the problem is, right, I'm a small studio. Mm-hmm. Basically, I'm the only full-time employee at the studio. Everybody else are freelancers. Um, I do have, like, the Asmodee, like, production team and marketing yeah. team, sales team. So I don't have to worry about, like, yeah. getting sto- getting copies of games into stores. They help with that. Yeah. Um, 
but something that's big and ambitious, something that requires like an app, like that's programmers. That's a huge team. Yeah. Bigger than what I can do myself right now. So, so that might be further down the road. Um, but it's, it's something I've been exploring with. And I mean, I do have a programming background, so I've been mocking stuff up and trying <laughs> things out when I have time. So you're not saying that it won't happen <laughs> in time. So don't be surprised if I make a game with an app. Yay. <laughs> I no promises that I will, but it could happen. Cool. Ryan, I know that you had uh, thrown some questions out to the community. Um, and uh, uh, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that Corey would love to hear an impromptu question. <laughs> well, I, I think he's already good. Like, Cause I think like, like five of the questions were about outer rim expansion, but <laughs> Yeah. No, and and he actually um uh, t- touched on a little bit of it with the, the Hans here asked about uh, Star Wars Rebellion if it was de- if it was inspired by the video game Star Wars Rebellion and he wanted it and, but he had he also had t- attached on was there ever a design choice to try to make it kind of like a kind of like Eurocentric where you gain points and resource and manage resources and and he says Allah eclipse but better than eclipse <laughs> <laughs> um so i find that a lot of the games that i work on like definitely take inspiration from the euro games like i will probably never make a game about trains or about farming um <laughs> because they're not necessarily the the types of things that I'm excited about. Um, But like the advent of Euro games kind of like brought about some great inventions of mechanics and like um, ideas and influences. I mean, even something like Twilight Imperium, I know um, Chris said is the, the um, strategy cards are very much inspired by um, Euro games. I forget which game he said that that inspired him to do that. And so I think that there's a lot to like learn from the different genres of games that are out mm-hmm. there, but um, I would never, I don't know. It wasn't a conscious decision. If that's the question. It, it yeah. uh, to me, it seems like that um, shoulder absorption uh, where it's like different people bring new instruments to the jam session. Mm-hmm. where you'll sit down and go whoa 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 what are you playing there and what like oh, i like that and then i mean you don't need to understand how it's produced but you get what it's what its ultimate goal is and that might be with the resonating note that, that you leave that jam session with so yeah cool cool we are we're at that point where where we're going to start wrapping things up so is there anything Corey, that you want to uh want to leave us with or remind us of and of course i mean pump up uh pump up unexpected games and the initiative but uh yeah what what uh how would yeah. you i mean check out unexpectedgames.com we'll, we'll we've got more games in the works I, i'm working on game number three at the moment um game number two hasn't been announced yet it, it might come out this year we'll see the world is in a weird place with shipping delays and stuff. So um, if we're lucky, our second game will come out this year. Yeah. Um, Have you leaked any subtle hints as to what to expect? Or are you locked down? With, <laughs> the vault is closed. All that I'm saying about the second game right now is that it's very different than the initiative. 
So it's not cooperative. Um, thematically, it's completely different. It's got a very weird and unique theme. Um, there's also some humor to it, which cool. I, I think is, is maybe a bit unexpected. Um, <laughs> can't say that <laughs> word now. Um, <laughs> But yes, people who come into it expecting like the initiative two, that's not what the second game is nice. going to be or the third game. Um, the, the next two games are, are completely um, opening up that spectrum. Yeah. Cool. Wide spectrum. All right. And then uh, people can find you on Twitter at uh, Unexpected yeah. Games. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as social media goes, are you pretty much dialed into Twitter and your website, or is there any other kind of Instagram and YouTube? We've and- got an Instagram and we've got a Facebook group. Um, we're trying to do more with it, but we're kind of in this lull between games at the moment. Mm-hmm. But yes, you can find our Instagram feed. You can find our, our Facebook page, Unexpected Games, for both of those. Um, and if you if you follow us on any of those places you'll be sure to hear the news when we are ready to announce something well i'm sure ryan will have a have a tweet out before i even wake up about this game came out (laughs) yeah yep that's 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 exactly how it works i got i got all the notification bells all set well, as we do all the time coming to the closing of our episode, um, we thank the listener for for getting to this point. Yay! Thank you for listening. And um, as always, Corey, thank you so much for sitting in with us and and providing us uh, some insight and some some pain because we know there's games that you've that you've designed that we can never look at <laughs> unless <laughs> unless the planets align. Thank you once again, Corey. Thank you to the listeners. And uh, I'm your host, Norm. I'm Ryan. I'm Ian. And we'll catch you later. This has been an episode of Cardboard Conjecture, and we are Bridge City Board Gamers. And you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Board Gamers Saskatoon. You can find us on YouTube, Bridge City Board Gamers. We are also on Twitter, at BC Board Gamers. And of course, Board Game Geek, Guild number 3039.